Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, I appreciate you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's sing it again and let's worship Him. Father, we appreciate you this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I appreciate you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll bow down before you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's just stand in His presence a few minutes and just reminisce for a few hours, a few moments, and just how good God is and how precious He really is. Father, we appreciate you this morning. Your love and your compassion showed toward us. Master, we was not worthy, but you made us worthy. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. You may be seated. And again, we appreciate you this morning. We have, of course, some out that are sick and uh, others are, I understand, are visiting. And... Uh, of course, we couldn't have classes this morning because of the water in the basement. So things are just a little bit turned around. But we did our best to wait on you and to let you at least get some of the service. We appreciate this morning Sister Mary Williams back with us. She's been lounging around in Florida and taking in all that sun while the rest of us have been beating her brains out here. <laughs> Let's just give her a good welcome, welcome back. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Also, we have some visitors with us this morning. We have Sister Malin Daniels. My wife works with her. And uh, I'm not sure whether that's good or bad, but would you stand and just just say something for us, will you? We appreciate you being here. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Right. Arms of life. Amen. Also have another young lady that called us on the telephone this last week, inquired about our services, and wanted to know if we was a word church. And we're certainly a word church. And we're uh, uh, believing in God. And her name is Sister Janet Warren. I want you to stand, Janet. We appreciate you coming in and worshiping with us. Just give us a word again. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. We appreciate you. Let's give them all, all a good hand. Come on. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Before we get into the message, we'll be dealing with the second chapter of Corinthians for a while this morning. But uh, I uh, went to Good Samaritan Hospital this past week on uh, kind of an errand 
so to speak, and we were speaking with some of those there that was heading the Daybreak program. Now, this is a chemical dependence program. It includes drug and alcohol, and mostly alcohol. And uh, my son Daniel and I talked to them at length, and they're wanting to initiate a program where all those that are in that program after they get detoxed and what have you, uh, to be able to have a chance to go to the house of the Lord. Now, we offered to pioneer that program, and uh, right now there's probably five to eight people. It will increase. And so if things go right, we're going to be having some of those individuals here. Now, we want to show them love. We want to show them compassion. We want to show them understanding. And we want to show them that we care. The world is being wrecked by the powers of hell and drink and strong drink. Alcohol and drugs is one of the main culprits. And God is the answer. And also, if things go right, I may have an opportunity to volunteer some work in uh, teaching some classes and so on. They've asked about that. They want to initiate what they call Step 5. We want to get involved in that, but uh, I mentioned this to you as a church because you need to know about it. And uh, if I get any negative feedback on it, why well, we won't initiate it because it's going to have to be some understanding there. Now, they're not going to uh, release a bunch of people that's, that's uh, drunk. They're going to be uh, people that are trying to get off of it. And uh, they need somebody to care. They need somebody to pray for them, and they need love. So you pray about that, and when this gets to the place where we can, why we'll begin to initiate it. Now, we may have need for someone to uh, kindly stand by because they'll be coming for a Sunday morning service only for a while. So we'll need someone that would be able to break free from before Sunday school is out and get them here at the church for service time for an automobile or two. We don't know just how many. They did say that they would call us and let us know how many wanted to come, if any wanted to come. And I'm sure a lot of them will want to come just to kind of get out of, of the hospital surroundings. But that's all right. However they choose to come, we want to show them the presence of the Lord. And it could lead to something. And, of course, there again, it all depends upon we as a church and how we accept them and how we hold them up before the Lord. The first, uh, first chapter, the second epistle of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church, I want to read more than I usually read from the first verse down to it, including the tenth verse, and I want to major on the tenth verse. In the meantime, we'll draw some comments from some of these others. We're not the only people that have problems. Great men like the Apostle Paul was faced with problems that are seem so minute uh, in the face of his, but he was able to face them, and as he faced them, he was able to write them down and let us see how he faced them and why he faced them. So he begins this letter, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, 
even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of comfort. Now you need to notice that this is almost one of the first times that the Apostle Paul is writing in this vein, because he has underwent and writing, writing concerning the uproar that was caused by Demetrius, the silversmith at Ephesus, and uh, all of the things that he faced then, which would have been discouraging. But notice what he says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. And then he says, Who comforteth us in all of our tribulation. Now those are words that carry a meaning, words that ring down through the corners of time to your day and mine. As he said, Blessed be the God who gives us comfort in all of our tribulations. In other words, he was making us very much aware that this life would not always be a bed of roses, that we could not wear, wear uh, colored glasses and miss the things that just naturally happen that there would be tribulations and would be afflictions and would be things that, of course, we would rather not face. And Paul is saying, blessed be God that brings us comfort in all of our tribulations. Now, he lets us in on an insight here that ought to be good for a lot of us. And uh, he answers the question, why does God comfort us in all of our tribulations? Not just to be doing not just necessarily because he sees us in tribulations, but there's a reason why he brings comfort to us in the midst of our tribulations. Did you ever wonder why sometimes your life is filled with things that you can't handle, things that you don't understand? Seems like God just takes you from, from, from that which is easy and, and from the height of the mountains and brings you into a valley. And sometimes you look around and you wonder, what in God's name am I doing here? What did I do wrong, God? Where did I get sidetracked at anyway? And the Apostle Paul is trying to give some meaning to situations like this, to times like this that happened to his life. It also is invariably going to happen to ours. As he said, God comforts us in our tribulations. In other words, when we're troubled, other words, when we're afflicted, other words, when we're despairing, when we're sick and we can't seem to get any reasonable move of God in our life, Paul is saying, why don't you go to God, nestle under His everlasting arm, and believe on Him, and let Him comfort you. And then he says, there's a reason why you should do this. And he says that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. You see, he's letting us know somewhere or somehow that if we're going to have some compassion or empathy for somebody else, it looks like we must need enter in and go through that ourselves and feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit and we can in turn tell others that God is a comforter. That he does care for us when it seems like the whole world is on the skids and we can't reconcile our life. That God is still alive, he still believes, and he still has faith in us, and he comes out and comforts us. And when we experience that, Paul is saying, that's a good track to get on because you can comfort somebody else that's in any trouble. How? 
by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. In other words, what we experience in our life. When we walk down the daily walk of life, what we experience, what comes our way, what God allows Satan to do in our life, he's saying be comforted by the Holy Spirit and then comfort others that walk that same path and tell them God is still alive, that He's still on the throne, that He still understands, that He still cares, and that He has not cast you off. And a lot of times when we undergo these afflictions and these problems and troubles, the first thing Satan will say is, you blew it. You lost it, boy. Someplace down the line, something went wrong in your life. We'll search it and see. And if it didn't, just nestle under God's arm and say, God, I don't understand it, but I know you still love me and feel his comforting arms around you. Because someplace down the line, somebody close to you or somebody you can reach is going to have some problems of their own and they're going to need somebody that has been comforted by God that can in turn comfort them with the same comfort they receive by the power of God's presence. But oftentimes we're not careful. Tribulation will cause us to be anxious. It'll cause us to be bitter sometimes. It'll cause us to doubt and it'll cause us to fear. And there is no comfort in that. And we can give nobody comfort in that. And if we can realize, hey look, this is God's path for me to enhance me and to lift me up and to some way make me grow. And then I in turn can give the help I received from God to somebody else. And most of us that have ever went through anything like that, it isn't very long until we find somebody somewhere that needs a helping hand, needs somebody to say, hey, look, go to God and let Him be your comforter. Run to God. Don't run away from God. And listen to what he says. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. In other words, suffering was abounding in Paul's life, he's saying. Sufferings was there. Now, I wish I could stand and tell you that Paul never suffered. That Paul never had an adversary. That Paul was always on the mountaintops, but he wasn't. He was human. He experienced the downfalls of life such as you and I experience. But he said, sufferings abound in my life and abound in my body. But as those sufferings abound, consolation of God also abounds in my life. And I like that, don't you? I like to realize that when suffering comes, there is also a consolation of God's mighty hand that reaches forth and touches us just a little and says, Son, it's all right. I've never left you and I won't. I'll always be there. I'd undergo it for a season. Endure it and stand fast in the liberty wherein Christ has set us free. And Paul said, whether we be afflicted, and I like this man. I like his writings. Because some way he had to search through the maze of idiocracies and idiosyncrasies of his day and try to find a reason why he had to suffer like he did. 
And sometimes if you and I would stop long enough and search through the maze of all of this and stand before God and say truthfully, Why, Lord? I'm not asking you or telling you and all of all the things that happened to us is necessarily what God wants. Because a lot of things we bring on ourselves. And I'm saying, search your life, make it clean, and then say, All right. The Apostle Paul said, I besought the Lord three times to remove this thorn from my flesh, and he left it there. Now, does that seem like a loving, kind, heavenly Father? As far as the human mind can see, no. And he said he left it there. But, oh, look, friend, he didn't just leave it there. He left it there with a word that says, I grace is sufficient for you. And what he leaves in our lives, if we listen, he leaves with a word. But there is a reason. Paul said, whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. In other words, Paul said, what I am experiencing in my life is going to be able to console you and might necessarily be your full salvation. Because I have endured it. Because I have withstood it. And because I will be able to tell you that God is all-sufficient, even in the valleys. He is a God of the valley, as well as a God of the mountains. He said, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer, and whether we be comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. In other words, Paul was trying to say, that everything that happens in my life is for the good and the benefit of somebody else. I sat and measured that chapter. I looked on that and I read it. And I prayed and then I looked on it again. I wondered, God, could this be for your church today? Could this be mine today? Could I get a hold of this and say, God... Whatever position you leave me in, it's for the consolation or maybe even the salvation of somebody else. Because how we endured and how we endure is a measuring stick for people that don't know Christ. They measure our God by the way we stand up against the principalities of this world and the way we act during afflictions. If we fall apart, every time something happens to us, the world measures our God about that high. And says, they're no different or no better than I am. And they talk about a power. Friend, that power is in there. And Paul said, if I could get a message to you Corinthians, it would be that whether I am comforted or whether I suffer, it's because of you. And full salvation for you. And then he says, and our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are...
consolation of God that's going to be there. Not after the suffering is over, but while it is there. There's a comfort that just goes beyond human understanding if we rely on God. Of course, there's always a power out there that tries to tell us it's foolish and it's ignorant. Paul goes on to say, Now we were not, brethren, have ye ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. And this is where that uproar was caused by Demetrius the silversmith when Paul was getting into his trade. Point, pointing them to God instead of the goddess of Diana that they was making statues of and making money. Paul was pointing them to God that could hear and had ears and eyes, could see and could understand. He was pointing them to God that was alive and he was disturbing the world. And they didn't just lay down. They got mad and Paul feared for his life. Now then stop just a minute and measure this if you will, as an individual and as a church. Here was a man that sold out to God. Could have been anything that he wanted to be. Said at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the smartest men, I suppose, that the Bible ever records as far as knowledge is concerned. Stood before some of the smartest lawyers of his time. Played his own case and won. Here was a man that could have been part of the Sanhedrin. Here was a man that could have embraced Judaism without a problem. Here was a man that was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He sold out to God. And you know what God told him when he called him? I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. I want you to listen. And in spite of that, Paul was receptive to the call. And here stood a man that had sold out. All the riches of the world perhaps could have been his, Intellect and scholarship could have been his. And now he stands after ministering under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he stands fearing for his life. A message that should have converted thousands turned their anger inward. And this man was forced to flee for his life. Now then, what do you think about that? When this man stands and surveys a town in the city that he brought a gospel message to. And he stands fearing for his life and they're about to run him out of town. What could he say? God, you're unjust, you're unfair. God, I wasted my time. And Paul is saying, because I suffered, I was comforted and I can reach you by that same comfort. In other words, whatever step you take, I've been there. Jesus says the same thing. So you see, it's nothing new when we face adverse conditions and problems. When the adversary comes and more or less obliterates us from our life and seems like our whole world has gone wrong. It's nothing new. The Apostle Paul says it. He said we had a sentence of death in ourselves. And we should not trust in ourselves. He said now there was a reason. You see, Paul was always finding a reason. He said, we had a sentence of death. In other words, they would have killed me. But he said, now there's a reason why God allowed this to happen. And then he goes on to say the reason is because God didn't want us to trust in ourselves. Oh, hallelujah. He wanted to rid me of any pride I might have had 
and caused me to die by myself and realize that God took me from death by his power and not from mine. You see what a lesson that is. But in God which raises the dead. Now then, last verse we read. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver or doth deliver in whom we trust he will yet deliver us. And in that small verse, he's saying a lot. He's showing us the three, three tenses of Christian faith and confidence. He's showing us the past. He's showing us the present. And he's showing us the future. He's saying God saved me. God is saving me. And God will completely save me. Hallelujah. And if he'll do that to Paul, he'll do it for me. Praise God. When great men of the Bible write concerning the power of God, they're not theorizing. They're not just guessing. They are passing on their experiences. Oh God, for a church that's had experience, for individuals whose lives have been set on the edge of death and destruction and saw the delivering power of Almighty God come in their life and can speak not by theory, but by actual fact that happened in their lives. Woo, hallelujah. Somebody shout for me. Hallelujah. I feel something moving on me. Hallelujah. The presence of God makes itself known. Moses, when he spoke concerning deliverance, wasn't speaking in a theory. He saw it. The Hebrew children certainly delivered from the fiery furnace. Wasn't guessing that God could deliver them. They knew he could. Daniel from the lion's den. Elijah and Paul. On and on. I want you to notice now. Past tense. We get a little bit upset. People do with me. I'm sure they do with you. People get a little bit upset when we look back at the past. Now you can't live back there because this is another day. That those experiences you had back there should be solid enough that you can lift them up and put them to this day and say they worked then and they work now. Paul looks back over the dangers and his difficulties and he does it again and again and the consensus of it all and his final verdict was he saved me. Not at any time did he ever let me fall. Paul knew nothing of surrender or second best. This man in every situation stood straight with his head back and said, I'm a child of the king. Whether I'm in a dungeon or whether I'm in the house, someplace declaring the gospel, wherever I'm at doesn't move me from me. I found it too. He knew it worked because he tried it. He drew confidence from his past experience and we need to catch that note. The church has lost a lot of it. I want you to notice one thing I'll just call to your attention and try to get done. In the early days, 
The church swept the world. Now, have you ever stopped to notice the ingredients that caused them to sweep the world? Somebody said, well, it was the Holy Ghost. Yeah, it was. And it wasn't just the initial presence of the Holy Ghost. It was the fruits of the Spirit that the Holy Ghost brought. In the early days, they didn't sweep the world because of their doctrines. They didn't sweep the world because of their tenets and their laws and their demands and their isms and schisms and idiocracies and idiosyncrasies. This isn't what swept the world or what caused the church to sweep the world. The church swept the world because of their love and their joy that they had in Christ and a love for one another and a love for souls that wouldn't die. That's what made it sweep the world. It wasn't because they were one of the Trinity or how they baptized sin, although I believe a truth. It was simply because they've been embedded and baptized in love and joy and in power of the Holy Spirit. And they cared. Hallelujah. Oh, don't get me wrong. This very chapter about this very church I'm reading in, they could have looked out and said, what's wrong with the church anyway? Yes, they could. Let me show you what went on there, just a few things. Misuse of the gifts of the Spirit. Paul had to set him in order. Following certain ones. I'm Apollos, I'm Peter, I'm of somebody else, you see. And uh, uh, immorality was even unjudged in the church. It was sitting right there on the first pew. And not one preacher ever said anything about it. It was right there. It was disordered to Lord's table. It should have been a sacred, holy thing, become a drunken brawl at times. They could have looked at all of this and said, what's wrong with the church? What's the matter with it? They could have said that. But they preferred the noise abroad about the marvelous things that the church was accomplishing. And they could do that just as justly as they could look at the wrongs and the failures of that church. Because in the midst of all of this, the power of God was going forth and the sick were being healed. And demons were being cast out. Why shouldn't we today ring out the good news and joy as one writer says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Lift the banner high. Paul looks back over his past experiences and says, in essence, there's not one time that God ever failed me. Not one time did he ever let me down. And then he speaks of the present with just as much confidence as he spoke of the past. When he said he saved me, he says he is saving me hallelujah what I'm trying to say is we don't or should not have to look back over the years that are gone for all the marvelous things in our life and for all the evidence because if we do there is something drastically wrong with our lives if the past is all we have to draw from there's something wrong with us today Paul looked at the past didn't theorize knew it was a fact but he looked around at the present, just being delivered from death, 
Hung said, why, that's not all it is. God has saved me, but he's still doing it every day. <laughs> Hallelujah. Every day he's saving me. Every day he's blessing me. Every day he's honoring me. Every day he whispers in my ear and says, you're my child and I love you. Hallelujah. Every minute, every hour, Paul says. The prophets of old, if you ever notice in reading them, and I mean studying them, they stopped the depressed people of their time in the midst of their anxieties and bemoanings with this question. Don't you know that God is still alive? <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't you know that God's still alive? I didn't lost any of his power. He's the same as he was in the 1900s when he breathed a phrase, the power of the Holy Ghost in this world. He's still the same as he was when every pew in this tabernacle was filled and people were worshiping God. God is the same. can change. Hallelujah. We don't need to look sadly back on the past and say what God used to be, how he used to bless. We know he did, and that's great. That friend, past experiences can't do it by themselves. Evidence ought to be in our lives today that he is alive today. And the prophets cried out from the pages of their history that says God is alive today. And then Paul after he looks to the past and looks to the present, turns his full confidence and his face to the future with as much confidence as he had in the past and the present. Now then, this man knew that the future was going to take far, far more from him than it gave in this life. The apostle Paul was aware of what was facing him. He was aware there was dungeons. He was aware that there was bondage. He was aware that there was an impending death. And yet he turned his face to the future. And knowing the future of this life was going to take from him far more than it give in this life. He turned to the future and said, God has fully saved me. Hallelujah. What do you mean by that? I mean, that when they was leading him, anyway, he sat down and took his pen in his hand and said, I'm going to have to die. And he said, I want you to know one thing, and I'm writing it, and I want it sent to the churches. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I know it's there. And they led him from that bondage of that jail between two strong individuals on each side and that little man breaks loose and runs and lays his head on the block and said, I'm willing to give my life for God. And his head severed his from his shoulders. He was still praising Almighty God. Josephus, sometimes he want to read it, records that it's that. And it seems literally impossible to read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you'll know that it's not. As his head rolled from his shoulders, coming from that headless body, and that head rolling from there, with those lips still moving, was the voice of the Apostle Paul glorifying Almighty God. Friend, that's a death to die. 
he knew in this life wasn't going to be good to him. He knew that. But he knew that he'd already sent a few bricks up and a little bit of mortar to build him a home in the heavens where the powers of hell couldn't tear it down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can spend money and time and effort to build beautiful homes here. That friend, they will only be burned by the fire that will take this world. But what we've sent up into God is all that is going to last. Paul, in closing, seemed to come down hard upon those of us who say, if only I knew I could hold out to the end. You know, how many people have you just heard stand and said, Oh, pray for me and I'll make it. Pray for me and I'll just hold on. Just barely hold on. I shame on you. I said shame on you. You ought to stand back, throw your chest back and your head up and say thank God for deliverance. He has delivered me. He is delivering me. He will deliver me. He's a God of deliverance. And regardless of what is happening in my day, I'm holding fast to God's unchanging hand. Paul says, remember now, folks, I'm not building upon dreams and I'm not building upon theories. And I'm building upon undisputable facts of my own daily walk of life. And he closes the book and leaves it here for you and I to read and to study and to take heed to and realize that there are times in our life that we're going to need the comfort of the Holy Ghost. But search for a reason. Because around you someplace is a neighbor or a friend or will be one that's going to need a pointing finger and going to need your experience to get in the, under their arms and lift them up and comfort them by the same comfort you were comforted with. And whether you're suffering, it's for a consolation of somebody. And whether you're consoled, it's for the help of somebody that's suffering. Paul says that. And he says, now this is not theory. This is not something that I just dreamed up or something that I read about. This is something I tried. And I was faced with a challenge. And I hope this morning as I close, I could face you with the same challenge. God, I have looked at the life of Moses, the life of Abraham, the life of Isaac and Jacob, and the life of Joseph, and the life of the prophets of old as they endured. I watched the life of Peter and I watched the life of Paul. And I drew from those lives. But friend, I cannot draw as much power from their lives lived as I can from a life lived by my own experiences and deliverance by God Almighty. And if I'm never there, how in God's name can he ever deliver me? You see, there is a reason. There is a reason why our whole world seems to be pulled out one times. God's going to wonder, can you stand without that solid footing? Can you believe me when everything is going wrong? Can you still hold to me? And when that answer is yes, 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 God comes down. And in the midnight hours, he breathes and whispers in your ear. He says, you're all right, child. You're going to make it. You're going to make it.
And you feel his loving arms go around you. You feel him pressed to you, close to his bosom. And you hear that heart beat alive. And you're comforted, even in the valley. You're comforted. Why? Because Jesus is there. Oh, hallelujah. Because Jesus is there. Shall we stand? He's there this morning. He's here this morning. I want us to come. We got some time yet. I want us to just come out into this altar and just stand. And just draw from the love of God. Come on. That's no Terry. That's just come on out. And just draw from God. And let your afflictions work for you. I said, let your afflictions work for you. Don't become despondent. Because life is not the way you program or the way you thought it ought to be. Well, let them work. I work in your life. Hallelujah. And then, you can look and say, when somebody comes and says, oh, I don't know. You can look and say, hey, look, God comforted me, <laughs> and he'll comfort you. Lay your head on his bosom. Let him draw you close right now this morning. Hallelujah. Let him touch your body and let him touch your life and go forth stronger than ever before and more determined than ever before. You see, a lot of us, a lot of us feel like if God washes us once, that's all that's necessary. Well, you remember that conversation that Peter had with Jesus? Jesus said, I want to wash your feet. <laughs> Peter said, No, Lord. Uh -uh. No, don't, don't, don't you wash my feet. I ought to be the one washing your feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part in me. And Peter looked and said, Lord, not my feet, but wash me all over. And there's a lesson in that. Jesus said, they that are clean don't need to be washed all over. In other words, he was making a reference to the public baths. That they walked in and there they went and there they were washed. And the only thing that picked up any defilement is when they walked from the public bath and their feet picked up some defilement. And then they got to where their clothing were, was and there there was a little basin of water and all they washed was their feet. That's all that picked up any defilement. Oh yes, we've been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be washed all over again, but daily we pick up a little defilement from this world and we need to come and say, Jesus, wash my feet, clean me. And make me clean every day. Hallelujah. Let him wash your feet this morning. And already he has. But there's little things that defile us along the way. That we need some washing of the water by the word. Hallelujah. A cleansing for us. Father, take us this morning and put us in your arms. And love us. And increase our faith in you. God is our Father to rise above the things of this world. And regardless of whatever path you choose for us to walk, we'll walk it with as much faith in you as if the road was easy and there wasn't any thorns or any thistles or any hills or valleys. We'll walk it with supreme faith in you because you have saved us. You're saving us today. And you will continue until we come to the full conformity of sons of the living God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Let's worship Him, saints. Lift your hands and just worship Him. We'll leave this mist. Father, hallelujah, we stand in Your presence, fully aware that Thou art the Master. Beside You there is none of them. We stand, Father, giving obeisance unto Thee. God, You're the only one how we can trust or have faith in Touch lives this morning, Lord. Touch them.